but we're also going to be starting in Luke 12. So if you don't mind getting your Bibles open to Acts 13 and Luke 12. And let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, thankful for those that you brought out this morning on just a uh, cold day, a busy week. But just pray for right here, right now, we can let go of everything and really just focus on you, on who you are and what you're doing. And we just give you the glory, honor, and praise. You teach, we listen, let your spirit guide and direct in your name. Amen. All right, it's been a few weeks since we've been in our study in Acts. We had our Christmas program a few weeks ago, and we did a couple Christmas messages, one out of Matthew, a couple out of the book of Luke. And now, getting back into our study in Acts, and we're in Acts 13. But before we get into Acts 13, Luke 12 really sets the tone for what we're going to do today. Luke 12, starting verse 49 with me. Jesus speaking. I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it was already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two, and two against three. Father will be divided against son, and son against father. Mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now that's not a verse we spend a lot of time on, is it? Take a look one more time at that at verse 51. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. I kind of call that the anti-Christmas verse right there. Because so often when we focus on Christmas, we focus on Jesus coming to bring peace. His own words say, I'm going to bring division. And I really want you to think about that. Because what we're going to do here in Acts 13 this morning is the gospel is going to be presented. And every time the gospel is presented, there's only two reactions to the gospel. You either accept it or you reject it. And what you're going to see here in Acts 13 is the people that accept it, you're going to see words like this. Joy, peace, glorified God. People that reject it, you're going to see words like oppose, contradict, envy, jealousy, anger. The same thing still happens today. Christ brings division. You've heard me say this before, tongue in cheek. If you picked a religion that you wanted to make everybody happy, Christianity is the worst religion you could pick. Because Christianity, by its fault... Christianity means follower of Christ. And by saying I'm a Christian, that I'm a follower of Christ, I'm already saying about 4 billion people aren't going to heaven. That means by default, I'm saying 4 billion people are probably going to go to hell because they have not accepted Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at all religions as equal, there's many world religions out there that you can be really friendly with. But we can't look at them all as equal because we know that this is truth. And so since this is truth, Christ brings division. There are numerous references in the book of John that when Jesus would teach, the people would go home divided. They would go home and they would talk about it and bring it up and what do you think he means? And it divided the people. Today it's still the same. When you represent the gospel to somebody, there creates a division. Non-believers can get angry. And what are they getting angry about? You're trying to offer them the blessings of heaven. You're trying to offer them salvation. You're trying to offer them freedom from hell. And they get angry about it. Why? Well, didn't the same thing happen in Jesus' time? Jesus was trying to point people towards truth and they got angry about it. And even think about this. Sometimes when you talk to believers, they get upset. This is what I've noticed. That you can be in a circle with other believers. And you're growing at the same time and going deeper in the Lord. But then suddenly, one of them just really feels passionate to go deeper in the Lord. And and what happens is they they go to a whole other level of their walk with Christ. And it makes everybody else around them uncomfortable then. This is believers can get bothered by how deep another believer is going. Think about back to Jesus. 
He was talking to believers. The Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, they were not atheists, they were believers. But his words took them out of their comfort zone. His words made them uncomfortable. Sometimes the same thing happens today. And it happens to all of us. I remember years ago, I was a new Christian, been walking with the Lord for a few years, and there were some things I was dealing with. I was outside taking care of some stuff, and I was listening to a teaching on the radio. And the teaching on the radio was quite good. The problem was it was too good. It made me uncomfortable. It convicted me. So you know what I learned at a very young Christian age? I can just go shut that radio off. And guess what? All of a sudden, the conviction's gone. All of a sudden, I feel so much better. The problem is it's a temporary feel better. Same thing happens in churches today. Same thing happens in our walk with the Lord. We're around maybe other believers, and we feel convicted. We feel uncomfortable, so we quit going around them. We take a break from going to church because it's too difficult, it's too hard, or we just go out into the world, we do this or that, and we feel better. It's a temporary, momentary peace that has no lasting effect. Because eventually those same issues will come back. The conviction of the Holy Spirit will still come back. And we need to realize, sometimes I just got to deal with that. And what we're seeing here in Acts 13, these people didn't want to deal with it. They kept rejecting truth. And they wondered why they were dealing with anger and frustration and bitterness. Sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we just want to disregard it. Sometimes we just want to find a fault. And it makes us feel better. You ever notice that? You feel better about yourself when you can find a fault in somebody else. Same thing happened 2,000 years ago. If I can find a fault in them, I feel better about me. When really the Lord says no, it's called a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, you're part of the body of Christ. Yes, we have a responsibility with each other. But ultimately, it's me and Jesus. And I want to be everything I can for Christ. But when that gospel is presented, there's either an accepting of it or there's division. And what you see here in Acts 13, there's going to be division. So let's start in Acts 13, verse 42. I know it's been a few weeks. Paul just got done doing this great message, proclaiming the gospel, teaching the gospel. And now people are going to react to this message. Verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogues, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blasphemy. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Note this excitement for the things of the Lord. Verse 42. They left the synagogue... And they're begging that these words might be preached in the next Sabbath. Begging. Some of your translations may say they invited them or they beseeched them. If you study out the word, it's stronger than inviting. If I invite you to something, it's like, hey, you should come over sometime. This is a deeper meaning. They are passionately begging, saying, would you please come back next week and keep telling us more things. Boy, we've lost that passion, haven't we? And here's the thing about a passion for the Lord or for the word. You can't make somebody have it. You either have it or you don't. So it doesn't do any good for me to stay here and try to stir you up. No, it's you and the Holy Spirit. When you really stop and think about what the Jesus has done, and you think about heaven and hell and eternity, it, it, it changes how you look at life. I say this a lot. You will decide if you go to church on Sunday on Saturday night. If Saturday night you go to bed, you set your alarm, you get your clothes out, you make sure the kids have taken their bath, you get their clothes out, you're already consciously deciding, I'm going to church Sunday. But if you decide Saturday night, oh, I'm just going to wake up Sunday morning and see how I feel, you're probably not going to go to church. Because guess what? You're going to wake up and your bed is going to be warm. 
You're going to look outside. I think it was negative three when I left this morning. You're going to say, negative three? I can listen to it online. I can get the podcast. I can get a copy of the CD. I don't even know what he's going to be in. I mean, it's been a few weeks. And and this is what we we do. We can talk ourselves out of so much. But when we stop and we say, Lord, I, I, I can't wait for this. And it's not even church. It's just, let's say, devotions. I think, I think most believers have a desire to start the day out with the Lord. But then the problem is they wake up. And once they wake up, life just happens. You've got kids that need something. You're already five minutes behind to go to work. You've got a lot of things going on. And this is what I've just noticed in my life. This is me personally. I can have every intention of doing it later on in the day. But unless I do it in the morning, it's just never going to be as fruitful as it could be. There's a reason why there's so many passages that says, In the morning. In the morning, you're supposed to start your day out with the Lord. And what a blessing that is. Yes, you can go back in the later in the day. You can do it before you go to bed. God's word is good. It doesn't return void. But when you do it in the morning, you chew on it all day. And you think about what the Lord has in store. Because you're begging for it. You're excited for it. Remember back being a new believer and this was just all brand new? I can remember being a new believer. I'd been saved less than a year. And I was at our old house. And I was waiting for one of my sisters to come home. They had the car, and I was going to go to Wednesday night church service. And for some reason, they were running late. I don't know. I was looking at the clock, and I'm not going to be able to make it to church. And I remembered my dad was over at my grandma's place. He was working on a fence line out there. And I remember he had a truck, and I could go borrow his truck to go to church. Now, the house was a couple miles away. So here I am thinking, okay, I don't got a car to go get it. Nothing I could do. So I went out, and I found my old bike that I had. had a flat tire. And I remember I took that bike, rode it over there, left the bike, got dad's truck, made it to church, and was late. Because it was just so important to be at a church. Now, let me stress this. This is not a legalistic have to. This was just, I I just, I want to. He's going to be teaching. I want to hear he has. There's just this excitement, this begging. But now that we've become seasoned saints, we look outside and say, you know, I don't want to slip. (laughs) You know, I don't want to have to warm the car up. And it's just amazing how we go deeper in our relationship with Christ. Sometimes we forget the passion and the zeal of what it's like just to know Jesus and to know him personally. And I look back to these guys in verse 42. They begged that the words might be preached them next Sabbath. Oh, Lord, give us a heart for your word like that. Then what happens in verse 43? They started following Paul and Barnabas. Started following them. Now, in today's age, we use this word followers a lot. Especially with social media. I I don't have any social media. I don't fully get it. I don't fully understand it. I understand the concept of the followers, but I don't get the following. This is a true story. I had a guy a long time ago, I should say a long time ago, a while ago, I should say, said, you need to get online and look at my social media, whatever it was. So I got online, and I'm not making this up. He had a whole lot of followers, and every day it was just him taking a picture of what he ate for breakfast with a coffee cup. And I'm thinking... What, what is this? This is what people are following. And there was like these dramatic model poses. And I'm like, I know you. You're kind of a schmuck. I don't know what you're trying to present here. And, and so what happens is, so you have followers. And I get the concept, but if you have followers, shouldn't you be pointing them towards the Lord? I keep thinking back to John the Baptist. So you've got people that are willing to follow you. Good, well, then just point them towards Jesus Christ. And in today's society, we want to follow our glory and not God's glory. I tell you, everything we do is reflecting Christ and just keep pointing people towards Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. And verse 43, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Persuade. This word for persuade in the Bible can be used both good and bad. 
You can persuade people to do good. You can persuade people to do bad. Here they're persuading them to continue in the grace of God. That's a really important word, guys. Continue in the grace of God. There's many different things we can continue in according to the Bible. We can continue in grace of God. We continue in faith. We can continue in goodness. We can continue in doctrine. These are all biblical things. But you have to continue in it. Now, if you've ever heard me teach before, you know I'm not a fan of New Year's resolutions. They do not make sense to me. People come up to me in the beginning of December and they talk about their New Year's resolutions. And I'm thinking, if it's that important to you, start it now. Why are you waiting another month? And you're going to pick New Year's resolutions that deal with things that are just not quite practical. No one's going to start working outside tomorrow and running and doing things. It's going to be negative whatever. We're not going to get up tomorrow morning super early because many of us are going to stay up late tonight to watch the New Year's. So we have this great expectation that January 1st, I'm going to start exercising, I'm going to start dieting, I'm going to start doing devotions, I'm going to start all this type of stuff. And the truth is, many, many people will start something tomorrow. How many of them will continue in it? A lot of people have started with the Lord. They've given God a chance. The Bible says you have tasted the heavenly gifts. They've come to church, they've read a Bible, they've heard some teaching, maybe even attended some discipleship classes. They've tasted it. God is saying continue in it. So I appreciate the fact that many of you tomorrow will try to start something new. I'm more concerned what's going to be happening in February, March, April, May, and June. See, they want to continue in the grace of God, continue in faith, continue in goodness, continue in doctrine. But here's the flip side. The Bible says you also can continue in unbelief. You can choose what you want to continue in. They are choosing to continue in the grace of God. Can you look at verse 44 with me? Can you imagine that? The next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. They were that excited to see what God had in store. Oh, man. Lord, help us to have that same excitement, that same passion to see what you're doing. Now, here's the issue, though. Remember what we said back in Luke 12. There's going to be division. Verse 45. When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Anytime you present the truth of the gospel, you're going to have a group that receives it. They're excited about it. They're begging for it. And then you're going to have a group in verse 45 filled with envy, contradicting, blaspheming, and opposing. Now, if you're not used to this, I don't say this to pick and please don't take it that way. How open are you about your faith? Because when you really get out there to represent the Lord, you're going to run into opposition and division. At work, at home, at school, you will run into division and opposition because you're trying to change eternity. And the enemy will push back. And it says right here that they had envy. They were filled with envy. That word literally means zeal. They were passionately opposed to this. Have you ever noticed that sometimes in the world, the enemies of the cross are more passionately against Jesus than we are for him? You ever thought about that? There are people more passionately against Jesus than we are for him. So when we go try to represent Christ, and we represent him with this very lackluster middle of the road, yeah, you should probably get saved. How is that going to impact anybody? This is something that has changed the world, and, and I want to tell you what he's done in my life, and I am so passionate about what he's done, I just got to tell you about it. I, I, I look for every opportunity because it's just so big a deal. But the issue in verse 45 is there's going to be people that are just as passionately opposed. And sometimes their passion is more exciting than our passion. And when I say exciting, I'm not trying to say in some type of circus show get their attention. I'm just saying the enemy uses them more passionately than what the Holy Spirit does for us because we sometimes stop and say, 
I'm just not that interested. I'm too busy living my life to worry about eternity. And I look at this early church and I see them with this passion and this zeal for the things of God. And I thought, oh, Lord, that's what I want. And I want to go out and impact eternity. So what do I do in verse 45 when I run into people filled with envy, contradicting, blaspheming, and opposing me? Well, go with me to Titus, please. Titus chapter 1. What do we do when we have people that are actively against us? Maybe you work with somebody that way. Maybe you go to school with somebody that way. Maybe you live with somebody that way. That you are passionate about the things of the Lord, and they are passionately opposed to it. What are you supposed to do? Take a look here at Titus chapter 1. We'll back up a few verses just to get the context. Titus here is giving the uh, job requirements for bishops and elders. Verse 7, Titus 1, For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he might be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. See, right there it is. What are you supposed to do with those people that are contradicting? Verse 9, you're supposed to use sound doctrine to exhort and convict right back. Now, I run into the lot with my boys, walk into these little tiny arguments that are going on. And you ask, what's going on? And it's just a meaningless, pointless thing. So I tell the boys this, listen, is anybody attacking the nature of Jesus? No. Is anybody claiming the Bible is false? No. Okay, then just let it go. Okay, if somebody wants to attack who Jesus is, defend that. Somebody wants to attack the Bible, defend that. These other little things in the world, just let them go. They don't matter. So when somebody wants to come and poison people's minds with false doctrine, according to verse 9, I am supposed to fight back, but I'm supposed to fight back with sound doctrine. That word for sound in the Greek means healthy. Now, here's a couple points to this. Number one, you've got to care. You've got to care that there's false doctrine being planted in people to say, I want to represent truth. Number two, you need to know sound doctrine. You need to know the truth to be able to battle back. There's a reason why Hebrew says that God's word is a sword that we're supposed to fight back with. And it's important for us as believers to know what we believe and why we believe it, so therefore we can go represent truth. I've seen this happen so many times with me. I'll talk to somebody about the Lord, plant seeds into their lives, and, and it's going good. And I'll say, hey, go home, think about this, pray about this, if you've got any questions about it, you know, let me know. And come back a couple of days later, and it's inevitable that they just started talking to this guy at work. And next thing you know, this guy at work is steering them in a different direction, poisoning their mind. We're going to get to that verse in a little bit. That's what the enemy does. If we are trying to move forward in the Holy Spirit, the enemy is going to try to push back. And the way we push back is not with our charm and our charisma and our faults and our opinions. Push back with sound doctrine. God's word does not return void. It does not. Jump back now to Acts 13. So we see what's happening here. This is the division that Jesus talked about. Certain people are responding with joy and peace and begging for it. Other people are fighting back. Verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. Take a look at verse 46. 
They grew bold. Some of your translations may say they waxed bold. It's an interesting word. It means they spoke frankly and straightforward. We've lost this in church. We're afraid to speak straightforwardly. We're afraid to tell people, listen, there is a God, there is a heaven, there is a hell, and sin is going to keep you out of heaven, and hell is real and it's for eternity. We're afraid to go to other brothers and sisters of the Lord and speak frankly, straightforwardly, and say, listen, the actions you're doing are going to cause harm. They're going to hurt you and hurt your family. Because we want everybody to like us, and we want to get along, and we say things like, well, you don't realize I've got to live with these people, I've got to work with these people, I've got to go to school with these people. We've got to care more about eternity. And what's happening here in verse 46, Paul and Barnabas, they speak straightforwardly and frankly, saying, this is what's happening. You're rejecting it. You're rejecting everlasting life. That needs to be told. Now, what's the result of speaking forwardly? Look at verse 48. They're glad and they glorify the Lord. Amen. What a wonderful thing that when you speak the gospel, which means good news, and people receive it, there's going to be joy and gladness and God's going to be glorified. Think about that. We were created for the glory of the Lord. John 15 says the way I glorify the Lord is by producing fruit. So when I go out and glorify God by producing fruit, people see that and there's this natural to reaction to something supernatural where there's joy. That's what I want. And take a look at verse 48. As many has been appointed to eternal life believe. Some of your translations. Many has been chosen. Many has been ordained. Remember what Jesus said back in the Gospels. Because you did not choose me. I chose you. Some people get really troubled by verses like verse 48. And many has been appointed to eternal life believed. I look at verse 48 and I think, aren't you thankful you serve a God that knows your birthday? He knows when you're going to get saved. Can you imagine serving a God that did not know when you were going to get saved? So you get saved and God's like, I had no idea. I mean, that's great, James. That's really great. He knows. He knows when I'm going to get saved. He knows that. He, there's this whole idea of what's going on behind the scenes of God appointing, ordaining, and choosing us, and puzzle pieces being moved around and, and worked out, and God's not surprised. He knows her spiritual birthday in verse 48. He had a hand in it. He was it. He drawed him to him. Amen. I love that. And then what happens, verse 49? The God's word spreads. This is, this is what's supposed to happen. We speak forwardly, straightforwardly, frankly, verse 46, in boldness. And then what happens, verse 48, people receive it. They're glad. They glorify the Lord. And then verse 49, it spreads. This is what is supposed to happen. I remember hearing a great quote one time. I don't know who the original quote was, but he compared Christians to manure. You may have heard this quote before, where he said, Christians are a lot like manure. If you just pile them up in one area, they stink. But if you spread Christians around, things start to grow. It's the same thing with manure. If you just have a pile of manure, it stinks. But if you spread it around, it becomes an amazing fertilizer. If we as believers just all get together, pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, we got a great, great church, we're forgetting the great commission of verse 49 of we're supposed to go. We're supposed to spread throughout all the region. You know, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them, teaching them to observe all things. We're supposed to teach and disciple and baptize. God never tells us to stay. He tells us to go. And if we are staying and not spreading the gospel, we should have a really good reason why. Because the Lord told us to go. Now, what does that look like? You may just need to go 20 feet to your neighbor. You may need to go two feet to your unsaved spouse. You may go to work. I don't know where your mission field is. But we're supposed to go with that mindset and spread this around. That is the goal. And I really do believe 
I run into so many Christians that, that just feel discouraged. They just feel dry because they're not spreading. And what happens is they're just kind of living for themselves. And after a while, you just realize the emptiness of yourself when really it's supposed to be impacting eternity. Go. All of a sudden, the world becomes crazy exciting when you go. Now, here's the problem. There's going to be division. Verse 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from the region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and they came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to our theme. People are going to receive. People are going to reject. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace to this world, but a sword. There's going to be division. And when that happens, verse 50, you're going to have people raised up. You're going to have persecution. This is what's going to happen. People are going to talk about you behind your back. They're going to talk about you to your face. They're going to try to intimidate you. They're going to get angry at you. It's going to happen. As I mentioned earlier in the message, some of the most angry people I've ever seen are people that you're trying to help spiritually. But they're just so convicted and so angry about it. What are we supposed to do? Verse 51. Supposed to shake it off. Just shake the dust off. Here's the thing. I think it was John Corson that said this. Either shake it off or you will get shaken up. There's a lot of truth to that. I tell you, we have a lot of thin-skinned Christians. Can you believe they said that about me? Can you believe they're doing that? Can you believe they're going behind me at work? Can you believe they said... They, they threw Jesus on the cross and killed him. And Jesus said, if they did this to me, they're going to want to do this to you. We have to realize you can't be thin-skinned as a believer. You're impacting eternity. Romans 8, 37 says this. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You're more than a conqueror. We need to let go of it. And so when somebody does something, we don't need to get together and rehash it. We don't have to gossip about it. We don't have to analyze it from every angle. We need to shake it off and move on. Present the gospel, then let the Holy Spirit do its job. And I think what happens as believers, we take things so personally, get so worked up, and I know somebody right now is probably thinking, yeah, but this is my my loved ones, these are my relatives. I get that. But you can't save anybody. It's between them and the Holy Spirit. And it's so freeing when you realize it's my job to present the gospel, then let the Holy Spirit and them work it out. I'm just the messenger, and that's what I'm supposed to do we got to make sure we don't get thin-skinned. Because look at the result. Verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They shake it off and they have joy. If you don't shake it off, you're going to walk in bitterness, disappointment, and you're going to be discouraged. And you're just going to stay in this little slump and just keep rehashing it, replaying it. Sometimes the best thing you can do is let it go. And as you let it go, say, okay, Lord, there was no fruit there. I planted seeds. I'm moving on. What's next? And what's next is I'm just going to go represent the Lord to the next group of people. And that's what it is. You keep praying, you keep representing, but you move on. What happens next? First 1, chapter 14. Now, it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and the Greeks, believed. This is kind of their pattern. They kept going to the synagogues. That's where they knew the Jews would be. They knew the Jews would meet there for prayer and scripture reading, so they would go. And so they knew that this is where there's a group of people that are passionate about the God but they don't really know who God is. Hey, let's go represent the Lord to them. Verse 2, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against their brethren. Poisoned their minds. This is what I mentioned earlier. You're trying to speak truth to somebody, and somebody's poisoning right back. And they're poisoning back with false doctrine. They're poisoning back with heresy. 
This is why we need to know the true doctrine to be able to present truth. This is why we need to be prayed up and ready. There's a spiritual battle going on. And as we're trying to give somebody healthy food, the enemy is trying to give them poisoned food. That's exactly what it is. And it's poisoned their minds. Literally, that word for minds is poisoned their soul. They're trying to affect eternity in a negative way. We're trying to affect it in a good way. We have to understand the battle we're in. So what do we do when this battle's raging? Verse 3, sometimes we stay. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the words of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. There's our word. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derba, cities of Lyconium and the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. So when it was time to leave, you leave. And guess what you do? You just keep presenting the gospel. Don't you just love this? I'm going to represent the Lord until the God closes the door, and then I'm going to go someplace else and represent the Lord again. And the Bible uses all these analogies of just scattering seeds. You know, if you've ever gone out and planted grass, you're going to literally put down tens of thousands of seeds. You have no idea which ones are going to grow. You just scatter and hope. Same thing spiritually. I'm going to go represent Jesus to whoever I can. I'm going to scatter and hope and pray. That's all I can do. Just like you guys here today. You guys came out on New Year's Eve. It's cold. You came out. You came here. You're sitting. You're listening. Now, I don't know. About every Sunday, I have somebody fall asleep. I'm used to that by now. I get that. About every Sunday, I got somebody on their phone. Yeah, it looks like they're looking up the Greek of the word. They're not. They're playing some game. I get that. My favorite story, and I've shared this with you before. This happened years ago. There is a very godly woman, and very godly woman. And she was sitting there and just frantically writing while I'm teaching. And I thought, wow, you know, just taking notes left and right. And so what happened was, church is over, and I usually walk through the sanctuary to see if anything's left over. And her spot, there was her Bible and stuff. She accidentally left it here, and she left her notes that she had taken, you know, during the message. And I thought, this is really cool. wonder what she wrote down. She was making a grocery list. That's a true story. And so that's what she was frantically writing down. And some of you ladies are saying, but you know what? When it comes to mind, i got to write it down. i got to remember right now. I get it. I'm not dumb up here. I've been doing this long enough. But the point is this. I can't make you. I'm going to work on me, and then I'm going to love my wife, and then I'm going to try to represent Jesus to my boys, and that's what I'm going to do. But you are here this morning, and I appreciate you coming out, and I hope that you have a zeal and a passion for the things of the Lord. I tell you, we don't need more middle-of-the-road Christians. We have churches full of those. What we need are people passionate about the things of God and eternity. And this is not some rah-rah cheerleader message, because that doesn't work. It may work for a day, a week, and a month. Ultimately, it comes down to the passion you have in your soul right now to say, Jesus Christ did this for me. I want to go represent him to every single person I run into. And understand that there's going to be division back. That's what we're learning here in Acts 13 and 14. This division gets so strong that next week they pull Paul out of the city and they stone him to death. This is how strong it gets. Right now, it's just, we don't like you, please leave. It's going to keep building and building and building. And this is what happens when you represent truth. People don't like it. Imagine being in a room that's completely dark. It's been dark for a long time. Your eyes have adjusted to it. Somebody comes in and shines a flashlight right in your face. You're not going to be happy. You're going to be upset. Sometimes when you go shine the light of the gospel in someone's face who's been in darkness for years and decades, they will not respond with joy. They respond with anger. And just as their eyes have to get used to the light, sometimes people have to get used to the light of the gospel of Christ, and then their eyes are open, and they say, okay, now I want this. Go back with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 12, please. 
Let's reread these verses we started out with and then let's apply it to our lives. I want you to remember a couple key words that we talked about this morning. First one is division. You're going to divide the world through Jesus Christ. Once again, you're not everybody's going to accept the gospel. Not everybody's going to want the gospel. And when you go take a stand for truth, there's going to be division. You're a soldier. Get your armor on. Get ready for that. Number two, the word of continue. Continue in it. As we used, said earlier, many people are going to start things tomorrow. How many of them are going to continue in it? And we want to continue in the grace of God. Continue in faith. Continue in goodness. Continue in doctrine. That's what we want to continue. That's our life. That's what we're doing. Take a look here now at Luke 12. And just let this really sink into your head here through the Spirit as we read this. Jesus, the words of Jesus. Verse 49. I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it was already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it's accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. I'm going to stop right there. If you're living in a divided house right now, Jesus knows what you're going through. Keep praying. Keep representing the truth. Speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4 makes that clear. Speak truth. Speak boldly. But do it in love. Do it in sound doctrine. Verse 53. Father will be divided against son and son against father. I don't know some of the relationships that you dad and your boys have. Now it's a time of healing. Now is there time to stop and say, there doesn't have to be division. If I put Jesus Christ first, I can go back and see a healing here. I don't know if they'll reciprocate it, but I can do what I can. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother, same thing. I don't know the relationship between moms and daughters out here. But if there's not peace, there can be through Christ. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You've been in division. You've seen these families. You see what Jesus can do. Jesus can cause division, but Jesus can also bring healing. That's the amazing thing about this. See, the Lord promises us that he will restore to us the years the locusts took. The Lord promises us that he will give us beauty for ashes. You give him the ash heap of your life. And you say, here's all my failures. As a man, as a woman, as a husband, father, son, daughter, whatever it is. And the Lord says, I can work with this. But I want to work in your heart first. That's what the Lord wants to do. And so often we want to sit here and talk about everything that's wrong. The Lord says, I want to restore to you these years that you've lost. But you've got to put me first. This is what the Lord does. And, and, and I encourage you to really stop and think about it. Don't continue down the same path. What a great time, what a great moment right now to say, I want the path to change. Is it difficult? You bet it is. Jesus said himself, the path is narrow and difficult and few will find it. But we know it's there. And that's what he wants us to do, is to walk that path, to go that path in him. And if you're here this morning and you're not, today's the day to change that around. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to say, this is not the man or woman I want to be. I want things to be different. It's going to be a long road. I'm not going to lie to you. But you start now, and then you continue in it. Continue is that key word. Worship to you if you want to come forward. Let's pray this into our lives about continuing in this. Lord, as we come to you now, We want to continue in what you said, grace, goodness, sound doctrine. Oh, Lord, today's the day for things to change. Today's the day for a new path to go. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray this, that we could really just walk this path in you and not just talk about it, but do it. Thank you, Lord, for being a God of grace and mercy 
And Lord, a God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances, your grace is amazing. We love you and we praise you in your name. Amen.